Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, July 28th. I want to draw your attention to a pick on the navigation menu on the Daily Audio Torah website. It is found under Our Projects and Partners. Select Torah House Global Prayer Network. This is a call to believers throughout the nations everywhere to take a place on the wall of prayer and to raise up a standard against the rising tide of evil and lawlessness that we see in our nations and in our culture. Let me share with you from their vision statement. The Torah House is an imaginary space where we meet each Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. We all pray from our own location and in our own time zone. Together, we enter into the virtual Torah house every Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. your local time. His set-apart people will meet with Yeshua in his Torah house. Community prayer is of tremendous value because as we pray of one heart, mind, and purpose, great power is released in the heavens. We begin our prayer time with a great shofar blast and enter Yahovah's courts with praise. We come against the relentless tide of evil that is swallowing up the nations. We ask our Father to establish His Torah in our city, our region, and our nation. Each month there is a featured prayer theme for the month so that together we can focus our prayers on the prayer theme for that month. Go to thetorahouse.com to see the prayer theme for this month. To learn more or to sign up to become a member, partner, or coordinator, go to thetorahouse.com and find out more. Join with others throughout the nations every Arab Shabbat, Friday night at 9 p.m. your time, as together we raise up a symphony of prayer to Abba Father in seeking His face and crying out to him for the remnant to return to the God of Israel and to his great and glorious Torah. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Vayet Kanan, and it means, And I Pleaded. Deuteronomy 6 1 to 25. 
Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, and he is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by driving out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, and for our survival, as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all 
these commandments before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. Second Chronicles 21, 1 to 23, 21. When Jehoshaphat died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then his son Jehoram became the next king. Jehoram's brothers, the other sons of Jehoshaphat, were Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariahu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Their father had given each of them valuable gifts of silver, gold, and costly items and also some of Judah's fortified towns. However, he designated Jehoram as the next king because he was the oldest. But when Jehoram had become solidly established as king, he killed all his brothers and some of the other leaders of Judah. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. But Jehoram followed the example of the kings of Israel, and was as wicked as King Ahab, for he had married one of Ahab's daughters. So Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But the Lord did not want to destroy David's dynasty, for he had made a covenant with David, and promised that his descendants would continue to rule, shining like a lamp forever. During Jehoram's reign, the Edomites revolted against Judah and crowned their own king. So Jehoram went out with his full army and all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders, but he went out at night and attacked them under cover of darkness. Even so, Edom has been independent from Judah to this day. The town of Libna also revolted about that same time. All this happened because Jehoram had abandoned the Lord, the God of his ancestors. He had built pagan shrines in the hill country of Judah and had led the people of Jerusalem and Judah to give themselves to pagan gods to go astray. Then Elijah the prophet wrote Jehoram this letter. This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. You have not followed the good example of your father Jehoshaphat or your grandfather King Asa of Judah. Instead, you have been as evil as the kings of Israel. You have led the people of Jerusalem and Judah to worship idols, just as King Ahab did in Israel. And you have even killed your own brothers, men who were better than you. So now the Lord your God is about to strike you, your people, your children, your wives, and all that is yours, with a heavy blow. You yourself will suffer with a severe intestinal disease that will get worse each day until your bowels come out. Then the Lord stirred up the Philistines and the Arabs who lived near the Ethiopians to attack Jehoram. They marched against Judah, broke down its defenses, and carried away everything of value in the royal palace, including the king's sons and his wives. Only his youngest son, Ahaziah, was spared. After all this, the Lord struck Jehoram with an incurable 
intestinal disease. The disease grew worse and worse, and at the end of two years it caused his bowels to come out, and he died in agony. His people did not build a great funeral fire to honor him as they had done for his ancestors. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. No one was sorry when he died. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. Then the people of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, Jehoram's youngest son, their next king, since the marauding bands who came with the Arabs had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, reigned as king of Judah. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother was Athaliah, a granddaughter of King Omri. Ahaziah also followed the evil example of King Ahab's family, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Ahab's father family had done. They even became his advisors after the death of his father, and they led him to ruin. Following their evil advice, Ahaziah joined Joram, the son of King Ahab of Israel, in his war against King Hazael of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead. When the Arameans wounded Joram in the battle, he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds he had received at Ramoth. Because Joram was wounded, King Ahaziah of Judah went to Jezreel to visit him. But God had decided that this visit would be Ahaziah's downfall. While he was there, Ahaziah went out with Joram to meet Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, whom the Lord had appointed to destroy the dynasty of Ahab. While Jehu was executing judgment against the family of Ahab, he happened to meet some of Judah's officials and Ahaziah's relatives who were traveling with Ahaziah. So Jehu killed them all. Then Jehu's men searched for Ahaziah, and they found him hiding in the city of Samaria. They brought him to Jehu, who killed him. Ahaziah was given a decent burial because the people said he was the grandson of Jehoshaphat, a man who sought the Lord with all his heart. But none of the surviving members of Ahaziah's family was capable of ruling the kingdom. When Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. But Ahaziah's sister, Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son, Joash, and stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. In this way, Jehosheba, the wife of Jehoiada the priest and sister of Ahaziah, hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Joash remained hidden in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled over the land. In the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada the priest decided to act. He summoned his courage and made a pact with five army commanders. Azariah son of Jeroham, Ishmael son of Jehohanan, Azariah son of Obed, 
Messiah son of Adiah, and Elishaphat son of Zikri. These men traveled secretly throughout Judah and summoned the Levites and clan leaders in all the towns to come to Jerusalem. They all gathered at the temple of God where they made a solemn pact with Joash, the young king. Jehoiada said to them, Here is the king's son. The time has come for him to reign. The Lord has promised that a descendant of David will be our king. This is what you must do. When you priests and Levites come on duty on the Sabbath, a third of you will serve as gatekeepers. Another third will go over to the royal palace. And the final third will be at the foundation gate. Everyone else should stay in the courtyards of the Lord's temple. Remember, only the priests and Levites on duty may enter the temple of the Lord, for they are set apart as holy. The rest of the people must obey the Lord's instructions and stay outside. You Levites, form a bodyguard around the king and keep your weapons in hand. Kill anyone who tries to enter the temple. Stay with the king wherever he goes. So the Levites and all the people of Judah did everything as Jehoiada the priest ordered. The commanders took charge of the men reporting for duty that Sabbath, as well as those who were going off duty. Jehoiada the priest did not let anyone go home after the shift ended. Then Jehoiada supplied the commanders with the spears and the large and small shields that had once belonged to King David and were stored in the temple of God. He stationed all the people around the king with their weapons ready. They formed a line from the south side of the temple around to the north side and all around the altar. Then Jehoiada and his sons brought out Joash, the king's son, placed the crown on his head and presented him with a copy of God's laws, the Torah. They anointed him and proclaimed him king, and everyone shouted, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the sound and the noise of the people running and the shouts of praise to the king, she hurried to the Lord's temple to see what was happening. When she arrived, she saw the newly crowned king standing in his place of authority by the pillar at the temple entrance. The commanders and trumpeters were surrounding him, and people from all over the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Singers with musical instruments were leading the people in a great celebration. When Athaliah saw all this, she tore her clothes in despair and shouted, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada the priest ordered the commanders who were in charge of the troops, Take her to the soldiers in front of the temple and kill anyone who tries to rescue her. For the priest had said she must not be killed in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her and led her out to the entrance of the horse gate on the palace grounds, and they killed her there. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the king and the people, that they would be the Lord's people. And all the people went over to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Jehoiada now put the priests and Levites in charge of the temple of the Lord, following all the directions given by David. 
He also commanded them to present burnt offerings to the Lord as prescribed by the law of Moses, and to sing and rejoice as David had instructed. He also stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple to keep out those who for any reason were ceremonially unclean. Then the commanders, nobles, rulers, and all the people of the land escorted the king from the temple of the Lord. They went through the upper gate and into the palace, and they seated the king on the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was peaceful, because Athaliah had been killed. Romans 11, 13-36 I, Paul, am saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this for I want to somehow make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now, you also receive the blessing God has promised, Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, He won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree, so if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves 
Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. And this benefits you Gentiles, yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, But when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Psalm 22, 1-18 My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue clings to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. 
My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. All an evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. I want to speak to you from our reading today from Romans 11. Then we're going to jump into Psalm 22. And I really want to address an issue that is prevalent in throughout the body of Christ, whether it's through the mainstream Sunday Christian world or even in the Hebrew words Messianic world, and that is the issue of anti-Semitism or hatred toward the Jewish people. This is a problem, and I have encountered it. I have seen it and experienced it in various places where I have visited different fellowships. And this is completely against God and his heart. And uh, so I want to just show you from the scriptures, what is the Lord's heart towards the Jewish people? And some of the anti-Semitism, you know, the, the sentiment or the feeling is, well, they rejected Christ and they don't know Yeshua. They're not saved. They're not believers. Um, It's just a religious spirit, blah, blah, blah. So this is not at all God's heart towards his people. So I'm going to back up and go into Romans chapter 9, or actually chapter 10, and we're going to look at what Paul's heart was towards the Jewish people. Now, Paul himself was Jewish, and Paul himself, before he became a believer in Yeshua, was persecuting the early believers and um, even applauding as they were being murdered. So he had a huge major change of heart and he saw the light literally and spiritually. So he's Jewish. So he's got the heart of the Lord concerning the Jewish people because he comes from that people group. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it reads, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. So this is Paul speaking, and I hope you can hear the passion that is in his heart as he says these words. He himself had tremendous zeal, but it was misplaced zeal until he saw the light, till he connected with Yeshua. Continuing on, in Romans, this is chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Judah. No, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, excuse me. He's a member of the tribe of Benjamin. 
Verse 2, no, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. So he's not rejected them, but there's a temporary blindness upon them. Verse 7, so this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest are hardened. So why is that? Why have their hearts hardened? What was God's purpose, his intention, his design? Now we come to the picture of the olive tree. And the olive tree represents Israel. Now remember, Israel is composed of 12 tribes. Northern Kingdom, the 10 tribes of the north, also called the House of Israel, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel, and Southern Kingdom, also called the House of Judah, the Jews. And so in this picture of the olive tree, we have two kinds of branches. We have wild branches that are grafted into this olive tree, and the wild branches are the goyim, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, who hear the gospel and who receive it with great joy. And then we have the natural branches, okay? And the natural branches are the Jews. The natural branches are the cultivated branches. And so Paul explains here in verse 17, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But, now here is where Paul is giving a warning that echoes down the hallways and the corridors of time through the pogroms, the Holocaust, the Crusades, all the way down to the present time. He says, you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. So we have replacement theology, which basically states, oh, well, you know, God saw that the Jews rejected Christ, and so they are now rejected by God. And all the covenants and all the promises that were given to the Jewish people are now given to the church, and the church has replaced Israel. And we don't have to pay any attention to the Old Testament. We can basically cut our Bible in half and pitch the Old Testament in the trash. The Old Testament has been done away with. The law, the Torah, has been done away with. It's been nailed to the cross, and now we just follow Christ. We just follow the Holy Spirit. The law is now uh, irrelevant. And this is replacement theology, and this is absolutely a doctrine from the pit of hell. And it was that kind of thinking that led Martin Luther to write the book on the Jews and their lies. And he wrote hateful, hateful things in that book towards the end of his life. He said things like, we should burn their synagogues, destroy their businesses, kick them out of town, 
burn their Torah scrolls. And you know what? That was in the 1400s. Then in the 1900s, the German Nazis read his book. It was their Bible of the time. And they carried out those words. They did those things. And the Night of Broken Glass, Crystal Knot, was carried out on November the 9th, 1937 or 38. Can't remember which year. And it was the birthday of Martin Luther. So replacement theology has evil roots and evil fruits. So Paul goes on to warn and says, Don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original or the natural branches, he won't spare you all either. So he goes on to explain, if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you, the wild branch, into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original or the natural branches back into the tree where they belong. So, He goes on to say in verse 28, Yet they, that is the natural branches, the Jews, are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn or revoked. So here is Paul's heart and God's heart towards the Jewish people. Even though they've been stubborn, and they've been blind, and their hearts have been hardened. Paul has great compassion for them, and the Lord has great compassion for them. Think of it like a teeter-totter. He's saying that while the natural branches were broken off, then the wild branches get grafted in. So there's the teeter-totter. And uh, for a season, the season of the Gentiles... Um, when you're on the high side of the teeter-totter, that's the season of the Gentiles. And until all the Gentiles have come in, have come into the house of God, have come into his salvation, have come into the kingdom, then the the downside of the teeter-totter, the other side, the, the natural branches side, the Jewish side, their hearts are hardened for this time period but then there's going to be a dynamic shift a suddenly shift and change and all of a sudden if you're on the teeter-totter on on the high end now it's going to go down and the other side is going to go up and when the other side goes up the side that has the natural branches the side that has the jewish branches all of a sudden now it's their time and the hardness of heart melts And the scales on the eyes fall away. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a tremendous uh, outpouring of the Spirit. And many, 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 many Jews will be saved. They will come to see that Yeshua was the Messiah. And what does Paul describe that like? Life from the dead. There's a season of time, an appointed time coming, when so many Jews will come to know Christ, and it will be like, resurrection life from the dead because they are the natural branches and so what paul what god is saying what paul explains is he's saying we all come to god from the same place that we all come to him knowing that we are sinners and knowing that we need his mercy that we need his grace We all come to him humble. We come to him as sinners. 
we come to him needing his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness, whether we are a natural branch or a wild branch, whether we are Jewish or non-Jewish. Now I want to uh, touch upon Psalm 22, and this is a Yeshua sighting in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, and it, it describes in great detail basically the crucifixion of Yeshua in Psalm 22, which was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Yeshua was even born. And so in verses 12 to 15, it says, My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, like fierce bulls of Bashan, they have hemmed me in, like lions they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. When you hang on a cross, and you're nailed to a cross, your bones get dislocated. They put a little tiny step stool underneath the foot, so you could occasionally step up onto that step, stepping piece of wood to get the weight of your body that's hanging on that cross to lift up from that. He goes on to say in verse 15, My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember Yeshua said from the cross, I thirst. And then they offered to him a sponge that had been dipped in vinegar. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs, and evil gang closes in on my side. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Literally, that happened. The guards threw dice to divide up the clothing of Yeshua. They have pierced my hands and feet. That's a pretty clear description of what happened to him. His hands and his feet were pierced with nails as he hung on the cross. So this is the Yeshua sighting in the Old Testament. And we always want to be watching and looking because Yeshua is throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He is the Aleph Tav, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Yeshua, we thank you so much for offering your life so that we could have life, for going through an excruciating and painful crucifixion death on the cross so we could be made right with the Father through your death. We thank you that your blood that you poured out, that you spilled, it makes us clean. It cleanses us. We love you, Yeshua. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that we are grafted in to the olive tree, Israel, with the rich roots, which would be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Yeshua himself, that we are these wild branches that have been grafted in, and we look forward to the day, Father, when many, many natural branches will be grafted in beside us. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Yevrekka Adonai Vishmerekka Yaeha
from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>